Hello and welcome back to the Extreme Cinema Podcast. Um, mid-season, we are back after the mid-season break. Yes, we are. Hello, Dom. How are you? Ha- Hello, Steady. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I'm good. What are, what are we watching uh, today, then, on our, our first episode back? Uh, we are watching a good one. It's El Topo today that we're going through. One that you yes. love, I know. One that lots of people love. Highly influential. And Highly probably... cult classic. One of the, the cult cl- yeah. one of the cult classics to kind of end all cult classics, as it were. And yeah, I love it. I love it to bits. Yeah, I know you do. So it's... I also adore this film. It's one, obviously, everybody doesn't... Well, I don't know if it's a hugely known one. I guess cult classic in people who know film will know this. But not, yeah. qu- n- not quite as crazy as a lot of the other ones, like, where everyone knows it. Well, this is directed by Alejandro Jodorowsky, sort of cult Mexican uh, director, Chilean-Mexican, French-Jewish, she's uh, a man of the world. And I feel like, online, I feel like this was his most well-known film for years and years and years and years and years, and, years. and then online... The Holy Mountain has had a bit of a resurgence as a meme, yeah. and also thanks to people like Eric Andre. Um, so I feel like the place this has is is more rooted in in film circles um, than that. And I think a lot, of, a lot of people have heard of it. I don't know how many people have actually seen it though. I mean, film people have, but outside of that, yeah, it's. Um, I, I think a lot of people know him for. The Dune documentary as well. Yes, of course. Well, I mean, we will talk about Alejandro Hodorowsky in more depth, uh, I guess, later on. But let's start the ball rolling, because have we ever even talked? We must have. But, like, what, Dom, what did you think of El Topo? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yes. It's, I think I give it nine out of ten. It's... Same. Not not perfect. Got some some weird shit in there, but it's still (laughs) a fantastic... I just feel it's just so watchable. It works on so many levels and it's like really unique. I mean, it's this, you know, psychedelic, acidic, Western, and it works on like a Western level as this sort of gunslinging film. But also you've got all the esoteric religious imagery and whatnot. And it's just unique. I don't think there is a very, there's any kind of one-to-one comparison of any film. I mean, that's the thing with Alejandro Hodorowsky. He's so... Um, idiosyncratic, like even the like spaghetti westerns and like the more out there like Sergio Leone films. Nothing, nothing compared to this. No, no, it's when I was watching it yesterday again. Um, I was like, oh my god, so much happens in this. Like I forgot how much goes on because it's just like you think. I mean, obviously, full spoilers, like we always say for this. Um. It's like you're like, oh, so this entire movie is gonna be um going around killing all these these different gunslingers that he has to beat, and then that's like half of the movie. <laughs> There's so much more after that. No, it's, that's what struck me. Um, upon I have no idea what like fifth rewatch, sixth rewatch. <laughs> um, the pacing is really fucking good in this. It's what makes it yeah. so watchable. It's why it's such a cult film that goes beyond like an art house. Uh, cinema audience it's just it's so bam 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 and if anything my kind of one one of my problems with the film is that in the second half when we get to like fascist town it does slow down a bit 
too much, like being like yeah. any fascism. Yes, it does. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Where the, the second half, I could see putting quite a few people off actually, just where there's a lot of action it's, and cool I think stuff in the first one. I th well, I think I think what makes the film so watchable, what makes all of Alejandro Hodorowsky's films so watchable, is his sense of humor. In the um, yeah. Jonathan Ross strangest movies ever made documentary, or no, strangest movie, um, it's called something. Strangest movie ever made was my short-lived YouTube series on my channel. It's called something very similar. Oh, the incredibly strange cinema show, something like that. Oh, okay. Um, you know, the big revelation at the end of that documentary is Alejandro Hodorowsky going, all my films are comedies. And Jonathan Russ is like, all your films are <laughs> comedies? And he's like, yes. And I think that's the um, hallmark of whether you're going to get Hodorowsky or not. Because if you just watched it, taking it really seriously, I've, I know a couple of people who think he's just too absurd and the surrealist imagery is, is laughable. And it's kind of the point, in my opinion. Um, like it's absurdist and and especially in the second half, I mean, literally satirical. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, I agree with the uh, the comedy aspect. I've not seen the Jonathan Ross thing. Did not know that existed. <laughs> it's re it's really good. That for everyone listening, that whole show is really good. I think they're like all on YouTube. Um, he's done like Raimi. He's done like John Waters. I think he did Edward. And then it was really obscure stuff like um, Ray Dallas Speckler at yeah. uh That really good shows. Highly recommend. Um, yeah, I think like the political elements because there's obviously the political, and then there's the religious and spiritual because elements. Because I think politically, uh, a theme that's really recurrent in his work, including his sort of autobiographical work, the dance of reality and his poetry, is state violence. Um, and I think yeah, in El Topo, it's really, um, I think he takes the view, the kind of very anarchist view of state violence that, um, it's only legal because the state has the monopoly on violence. That's the only reason, because you see in the first half, El Topo, like, you know, like God, as he says, is going around giving judgment. Uh, and the only reason that that is legitimate is because he wins. The only reason the colonel at the start could massacre that whole village is because he wins and, you know, he's a military yeah, person. Yeah. The only reason the fascist town can do all their fascisty things and slavery <laughs> is because they win. And I think politically, that's what, that's what the film is. One of the things the film's about because extreme cinema podcast, we're in extreme cinema. Like the violence yeah. is, is very shocking. It's not realistic. It's very over the top, but it's even as batshit as this film is, it's like the violence feels quite grounded sometimes. And um, it really, I think that's what makes the film, one of the things that makes this film really powerful. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it is definitely a, it's weird because it's such an out there, generosity, so everything's crazy, but it's very grounded and gritty at times. Like, you could have been going, what the fuck is this? But it's still got that great... I mean, it's... Some people might be like, uh, extreme cinema, this weird Western who've never seen it. It is. It, it definitely is. Like, you need you need to see some of the sequences in this to understand, like... Especially the end bit, which is brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. It's brutal. It's more brutal than kind of any Western I can think of. Yeah. Um, 
it's i think there's this like amazing contrast between the grit and the artifice of it like for example i mean obviously a lot of batshit things happened i mean you know hello i can't be shot i just let the bullets pass through me you know all that stuff <laughs> the setting does feel really grounded they're walking around like this the mexican desert and these like tiny little townships so i think uh the contrast between all these elements is what what makes it so unique and you can definitely see that in um you know his other films in the Holy Mountain, you can definitely see when you get to kind of the business executives how that's got quite a bit of grounding. And in the Dance of Reality, you've got the like actual story of the dictatorship in Chile, um, kind of inside this fantastical film, which is weird. Like you say, it's weird because these are some of the most out there films I can think of. He's one of the most out there directors that celebrated, uh. I mean, a lot of Luis Buñuel influence, but that's kind of it, really. I mean, he was he was an originator in this. Um, oh, yeah. And yet the films do feel like you can tangentially grab them, which is why I think El Topo is a good place to start with his filmography, because there is there is stuff to, there's a lot of to hold on to in this film outside of the esoteric themes. What I was going to respond is you talked about a lot of his other films there, so we should probably get into Jodorowsky a bit more, seeing as he is here. quite a prolific guy. Is is El Topo his first film? You know a lot more about him than me. <laughs> no, Fando and Liz is his first film. El Topo is the first one that got any kind of publicity. I mean, he says in the Midnight Movie documentary, which we'll talk about, this is the legacy is the first Midnight film, supposedly, which it very debatably actually is. Um, he said sort of El Topo, people were laughing at him when he was making it because he wanted to make this film for the US. And they said sort of Mexican films never leave Mexico, um, which I guess is probably largely true until this film. Because Fandom and Liz never really made it out of Mexico. I don't know if it made it out of film festivals. It supposedly caused a riot um, <laughs> when it was first shown. It's an all right movie. It's got some oh, great okay. imagery, but it's like, it's still him working on his style. If anything, his early shorts um, are better. I mean, he was a mime initially, and you can see the mime influence so much in this film, not just in the like clown performances in the second half, but in so much of this being wordless and over the top. Uh, and his early films are kind of meant yeah, to show yeah. the mime aspect off very much so. Yeah, definitely. I've never seen his first films. I've only actually seen... I saw Santa Sangre not too long ago. And then I've seen oh, this fantastic. in Holy And I've seen this in Holy Mountain. That's about it. <laughs> well, that's that's basically all you need. Oh, no, you need to see the Dance of Arialidad and... Um, endless poetry as well. I mean, yeah, yeah. So he's got Fando and Liz, and he's got his early shorts. I wouldn't. I honestly only watch Fando and Liz if you are just a hardcore completionist like I am. Uh -huh. Um, it's not a bad film though. Holy Mountain, which is his masterpiece in my opinion. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's incredible. It's just this incredibly layered uh, work, and one day we may do that in the I podcast. Like... It's just this is more the classic extreme one. Holy Mountain is the one that everybody listening has probably heard of or watched or seen somebody at least review online. It's It had such a resurgence. Su no, it had such a resurgence, and you watch it now, and it's very um, mimetic, as it yeah, were. Like yeah. it's, it's such a good film from the internet age, and the, it, to me, that's a film about late capitalism, and it's just true. 
Like I, I, the architect in that film talking about how he's making these apartments smaller and now they're just coffins. I'm just like, this is this is fact now. It's not, yeah, not a joke yeah. anymore. Um, v- very much. Then Santa Sangre, which is his slasher film, his take on Psycho. It's great. Yeah, you yeah. watch it. Then he's his Tusk, which he's disowned. I've never seen. There is a VHS huh. rip on YouTube. I think that's the only way to watch it. And then there's um, The Rainbow Thief with Peter O'Toole, which I've not seen. I have no idea how to find that. And then he went away, or he did his comic books. I mean, this guy oh, writes I, comic uh, books. Yes, he's yes. Meta Barons, which books. is... Yeah. Um, Meta Barons is one of Akala's favourite comics. He has a YouTube series where he talks about his favourite books, and Meta Barons is the only comic book in that. <laughs> um and the Inkle, which I've read, is fantastic. It's got that Hodorowsky satirical humor in it. Um, drawing the oh god, who's the artist for it? I'm gonna kick myself. Begins with an M. Um, anyway, it's a <laughs> it's a fantastic book. Then he came back in 2013, 14 with the Dance of Reality, which was his like yeah, fan- yeah. like fat like fantastical autobiography of him which is a fantastic film and it's essential for any fan of him because you'll understand him like so much better after that and then he did the sequel to that which was uh, endless poetry which was good but it wasn't as good as the first it was meant to be like five films uh, <laughs> and he's just sort of said i'm too old i can't I can't do it sorry so it's probably just going to be two i mean he is in his 90s now yes uh, yeah, yeah he's had such a career and in addition to films and comic books and miming he's he is a literal world expert on tarot he's <laughs> literally no i mean not just he does a bit of tarot like he's literally a world expert on tarot he is this you know really a celebrity in that world yeah oh um he takes it really seriously um as well uh he's just uh incredible and then in his films he's not only acting he's not only starring in el topo he's not only directing producing he does the music for it as well um something that's really stuck with and the music for this is fucking fantastic um oh something that really stuck with me is friend of the show george arnold who does who's done the artwork for this uh said once he's like if tommy was so was actually talented (laughs) it's true (laughs) it is quite true yes It's like one of those madman egotistic directors, which I mean, he's got an ego. You can see oh in my the Dune God, document, yeah. which we'll talk about. But man has an ego. Kind of well deserved. He's a genius. Like, so for those of you who don't know, he was meant to do Dune before it got shipped off to David yeah, Lynch. Yeah. It's like the most expensive pre-production in film history. They spent millions on it, and then it didn't even make it into production. It was going to be like yeah. ten hours long. It was going to change ten a bunch hours, of things. Yeah. Orson make Welles Jagger. was going to be. Um, <laughs> Jagger was in it. Orson Welles was going to be Baron Harkonnen. Dali was going to be the Emperor. Yeah. Brontis Wright, who's this little kid in, in El Topo, and he's a fantastic actor. He plays Alejandro Jodorowsky's father in The Dance of Reality, and he's a genuinely fantastic actor. But he was going to be Paul Atreides, and Alejandro Jodorowsky, because he's a fucking mental case, was like, right, he's going to be Paul Atreides, so I'm going to spend the next two years of his childhood raising him <laughs> as if he's Paul Atreides. What a maniac. go watch... <laughs> go watch the june documentary like he the, the soundtrack was gonna be like by done four prog rock bands and one of them was yeah, pink yeah. Floyd. It was pink and he floyd, walks yeah. into Ab- yeah pink floyd and magma and i can't remember the other ones um, but he walks in tangerine dream i think he walks into fucking abbey road studios while they're recording <laughs> wish you were here and he's like put your fucking hamburgers down i've got <laughs> this is the biggest opportunity of your life you know the band that has just released dark side of the moon and he's like i am making the biggest thing ever and you have to listen 
He is a maniac, and oh, I, I love it. Well, I kind of love him. I think it's problematic. <laughs> I was gonna say we do after. I think we'd be remiss not to talk about the controversy, also. <laughs> with... Yeah, which is a shame because yeah, it's... Yeah. I, it is him being an edge lord, but he's also a misogynist. And yeah. in the Jonathan Roth documentary, um, he's like Jonathan Roth asked him, you know, your male characters so um well-rounded and your female characters are always two-dimensional and sketchy i mean in this they really are oh, it's, yeah, um, yeah. and he says why is that and alejandro horoski just responds i'm a misogynist i don't like women and i mean he's being tongue-in-cheek when he says it so bluntly but he's he's not lying I he's don't not think. fully lying there no he's um like he's the, an interesting yeah. guy the only fully well-rounded character I can think of who's a woman in his films is the mother in Dance of Reality, which is his mother. It's yeah, fantastic. which is, um, is his own mum, so is the only one he ever had a connection with. <laughs> it's basically what it is. <laughs> well, uh, like in this film, I mean, you know, there's a a, a, a scene of sexual assault. Yeah, and that's what I was not, thinking about, it's, yeah. It's portrayed as fine, basically. And then you know, he goes on the publicity of this and says, oh, that scene's real. And then, you know, years later, he's like, no, I was just being edgy. I was just trying yeah, to, yeah. you know, shock people into seeing this film. I apologize. I shouldn't have said it. Even at the time, that was wrong. But like... It, it was, I believe yeah. it was, what, 2019 something was cancelled. They were going to do a retrospective or something. And then he had to be like, yeah, that was a publicity stunt. I, that was fucking stupid. Like... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, I hate it because I think he's a genius, um, but that really upsets me, and, um, yeah, I, it's like, I don't like it. Going back to, uh, episode one, Lars Bontria <laughs> said, said some horrific stuff also, it's, it comes no, with but the that's territory. fucking hilarious. Oh, that guy's, well, the, the, the can Hitler incident is one of the most ridiculous it's... things I've ever seen, <laughs> It's one of my just Kirsten Dunst sitting next to him, like <laughs> get me out of this. The it's face incredible. is so. It... But I guess I guess when you like this genius, you know, it's no, it, it, there's no excusing it. He, no, he doesn't no. like women, and I, I've heard it's worse in his comic books as well. It like, is, yeah. There's, actually, there's no excusing it. <laughs> I've actually read some Shadowski comics, and it's outwardly misogynistic in like a in like a which oh, one? Cool. Meta... Which yeah. One? yeah. And there's also the uh, animal cruelty in this. I mean, look, there are just... This isn't Cannibal Holocaust. No, no. Um, which we talked about where they, they were just being horrific people. There are countries in the world where it was that was kind of common practice in their film industries back in the day to where that would just be the normal way they would go about it. Mexico is one of them, but um, you know, when when they're doing target practice with the crows, you're just watching it and you go, "Well, that's that real." Was a crow, they just yeah, yeah. I mean, he, um, um, he's not great for it, is he? <laughs> Again, like... no. But I mean, the thing is, on the counterbalancing this point to this, I mean, I think it's really good we're talking about the problematic elements of this film yeah, and Alejandro yeah. Jodorowsky. 
but I, it's sad because I really like the use of animals in this film other than that. Like, I really love, like, there's a lion walking about. There's so many animals. It's even crazier in the Holy Mountain. Oh, yes. Um, it's it's fantastic. Um, visually arresting filmmaker. Like, he's a genius director. Oh, uh, the yeah. visuals in this film are on another level. Like, even, like, the religious imagery goes a bit over my head because it's so multifaceted. There's so much... Uh, Eastern religion in it as well as Western religion that he's he's kind of he's very pro-spirituality but very anti-religion yeah. there's a lot of Eastern philosophy um, stuff in there that I don't even really understand or know about yeah I think the first gunsling is meant to represent like Hinduism yeah, but yeah. I'm kind of not even sure on that I mean I I love the fact, I mean, okay, like, you know, he wins these fights by cheating. In the film, it's because, you know, the woman has corrupted him, which I hate, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, he wins these fights by cheating. And then the fight, the guy who beats him is like, I don't, I'm not going to fight you. I just have a butterfly net yeah, yeah. Uh, to catch the bullets. And then he's like, no, I'm going to kill myself just now. shoots himself. Lose. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's... And then he goes through his redemption arc, because I also really like that this film has a lot of uh, empathy for disabled peoples and it uses a lot of disabled people in um in the cast and the um it's really reminiscent of todd browning's freaks which you could yes, argue is one of yes. the few cult films to date before this yeah uh, very much sense and i love that theme it's a it is quite a theme through a few of his films he uses a lot of disabled actors and seems to like to show their plight a lot like like you said, freaks for probably the first cult film is very reminiscent of this, and then this goes on to influence so many people. Like the list of influences from Hadarski in general, but also El Topo is unbelievable. Like you've got a Genesis album, which I didn't know until I looked this up. Which I know the Genesis album. I had no idea that it was El Topo. Um. Which one is it? What's uh, it called? The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. That's about El Topo. Yeah, that's about El Topo, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's like, okay, now I'm going to have to give a, like, fifth attempt to listen to that because I love 70s prog rock. I can't get into Genesis for the fucking life of me <laughs> and everyone online is like, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway and I've tried it and I can't. So maybe for the seventh time or whatever, I will try listen to that album. Yeah, <laughs> you'll have to... Well, yeah, and then obviously you've got Lynch. Lynch hugely loves Odorowski. Nicholas Wine and Refn. Refn, um, Only God Forgives, which I think is his best film, and it perplexed it perplexed audiences so much. But the thing that should make you understand the film is the first thing it says in the credits in big letters is dedicated to Alejandro Jodorowsky. Exactly, yeah, um, yeah. And you can see it. And also, uh, Hodorowsky was backstage, um, or, you know, during the filming of this and gave Nicholas Winding Refn's wife a tower reading and told her to leave his, her husband, which is hysterical. <laughs> the most him thing ever. <laughs> so, it's, it's such a, a maverick. He is like the definition of the word maverick, basically, when it comes down to it. No, he really... <laughs> He really is. He's. I mean, he's utterly insane. Um, I and I think this to me, it's so like, it's a mix of ahead of its time because it, you know, it's became this highly influential film. There was nothing like it before. There still, frankly, is nothing like it since. But also, it's like so rooted in like 60s, 70s psychedelia. Like drugs are also 
a theme in all his work um you know i know in the june documentary he talks about taking lsd in order to get a sense of the visuals of that film (laughs) a lot of lsd yeah i think everyone was high on the set of this film all the time it sounds like they came out in the costuming as well is so good it's it's such a good film beautiful it's it's so mind-blowing that this came out in 1970 think about the people were kind of crafting things that looked like this obviously uh, on drug culture it, it happened but uh it's it's just insane it's it's a very good film and everybody needs to see it this was the like the hippest thing in new york so like the film languished around undistributed lots of distributors were like really interested apparently until they saw it because they thought this is <laughs> like, ultra-violent psychedelic western this is so saleable right now and then they watched the film and it was too much for sort of every distributor it got played in art galleries and then it opened up at a cinema in New York called the Elgin at midnight and they put a an advert in the newspaper that had no pictures, just said El Topo at midnight Elgin's theatre. <laughs> and then it became this phenomenon um, that, you know, Andy Warhol and co would go yeah, to and yeah. it's John Lennon and Yoko Ono's favourite film and they put... Alejandro Hodorowski in touch with then Beatles manager Alan Klein, who went on to do the Holy Mount, uh, produce the Holy Mountain, which was going to have George Harrison in it. It didn't, but the Holy Mountain is that was the highest budget Mexican film at the time because it had all this interest from these artistic circles um, in America. Yeah, it is purely an art film, basically, like of the highest sense of it attracted so many artistic people to be like holy shit this is what we've been looking for like this guy got it but yeah it's so watchable it's so watchable but then you try and push it mainstream because after uh alan klein got involved they opened it on broadway for you know three days (laughs) and it closed again because no one it's not that's not the audience for it. No, the audience no. for it are the kind of people who see an ad that says El Topo at Midnight Elgin Cinema and go there. Yeah, the, it's it's the people that are maybe even weirder than us <laughs> that this was made for, especially back in the day. Like, especially good. It's, it's yeah. Hunting this down in 1970, you had to be, like, with it completely. <laughs> like... Now to be like, oh, Hadaroski, like, he's a much bigger name now, obviously. But because he's, he's a legend. I mean, the Dune documentary and the resurgence of the Holy Mountain has definitely done a lot to, um, you know, increase yeah, his presence yeah. pop culturally. I mean, he, he's, it's, you know, it's going to be a sad, a sad day when, when he passes away. But um, I mean, this was, in terms of like early cult films, debatably the first because, it was the first one that got its cult audience at the time. It's the precursor to underground films like Pink Flamingos and Eraserhead. But even more impressively, it's the precursor to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But <laughs> to think that, I mean, it's Let- such a, obviously a widely different film, but to be like, oh, this is the precursor to that, you kind of see it still. The, th- the thing is, I mean, there are cult films that definitely date before. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. Freaks. Um, Plan 9 from Out of Space <laughs> as well. Um, and I think the film I might consider actually the first cult film myself would be Reefer Madness. You know, made because that was, I mean, that was made sincerely as an anti-drug film in the 30s and then in the 50s got picked up by the beatniks to go watch it at midnight and have a good chuckle 
at how ridiculous it is. But this, the, the El Topo, I think, you know, getting a cult audience just so instantaneously, uh, being the first midnight movie, like, that really is its legacy. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's it, its legacy is... I mean, just just like I said, its legacy is look at all the people it inspired. Like, every, probably everyone who's listening to this, at least, something they adore will have been inspired by this. Like, it's without a doubt. Without a doubt, but it, yeah, Alejandro Holodowski, he will get cited by filmmakers. I mean, we mentioned Refn, we mentioned Liv, yeah. Lynch, John Waters, because I mean, I mentioned Pink Flamingos earlier. Everyone who is into film knows this man is like you know such a famous director but no one's replicated him like lynch there's so many kind of lynch wannabes tarantino a lot of tarantino wannabes there's n no one who is like ripping him off directly that's true like it's it's not a thing you see like this weird nobody like has ever tried to do it, and I've never even thought of that. Like, because like, yeah, you get so many people ripping off every other director or trying to be the other director that you see. Nobody's ever really tried to do this. You have to have his brain, which is like, it's it's like it it's so galaxy brain, but like actually kind of galaxy brain, you know, like like you know the creativity coming up with you know these are the gunslingers. Uh, that look how you know weird. This one just has a butterfly net. This one, the bullets pass through him. Uh, th this one's this weird kind of overgrown kid with his, his mother. It's really, I mean, when you say it out like that, it doesn't sound like no one else could come up with it. But when you watch it, you know no one else. Do you know come up with this. what I think might be the closest, and I want to see if you agree with this. And it's not a director. Well, it is a director, but it's a sure. game director. Suda fifty one. Suda. You know, kind of, but Suda Fifty One strikes me as more David Lynchy. Oh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, Even. he does have his Lynch but, moment. I think stuff like No More, No More Heroes, things like that, are very Jodorowsky esque. I see it. Well, oh, I'm sure he's a fan. I'm sure Kojima's a massive. Well, fan. yeah, obviously, Kojima knows everyone. Like, though. <laughs> like, I would just be sure of like, this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is closer than like any director I can think of. Yeah, frankly, that's though. that's all that like, I could the even way put. His characters talk close to it. Like, I just think I think I think to people listening, like you have to watch this film. You really have to watch this film, and then you have to watch the Holy Mountain, and then you have to watch the Dance of Reality. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, very much. I've not even seen Dance of Reality. <laughs> oh, go watch it. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. I mean, seriously, just go watch it tonight. It it, it will also give you a really good understanding of him as a person and that film's got a bit more of a grounding uh than el topo and the holy mountain does even though it's still it's still very very weird and out there i went to a double bill um like seven eight years when it just came yeah, out yeah. and i'd already seen the dance of reality before it came out in the uk because i was waiting years for that to come out of that and santa sangre it was a hell of an experience you know what sucked right um so I bought the Blu-ray, the DVD box set of Alejandro Holorowski years ago. I was still in yeah, school, yeah. okay? And um, I'd never opened it until yesterday night <laughs> because I've just seen these films in the cinema every single time. Um, I've seen El Topo and the Holy Mountain in the cinema a couple times a piece. Um, and then I opened it yesterday to watch it. 
and the El Topo DVD is defect. <laughs> what? It, it, I put it in the PlayStation. It just went. The PlayStation just went. Ah, <laughs> ah, and I was like, oh no. I tried the holy. I tried it in the PlayStation Four. Didn't work. The Holy Mountain disc worked fine. So it's just that. But it's like I can't return that shit. No. It's like hello. I bought this. Seven years ago. Eight years ago. <laughs> and it's defective. I never opened it, I promise. Like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even put it to Kex. I mean, one, I wouldn't want to sell it to Kex and someone to buy it and be like, oh shit. But two, they're just going to, you know, put the disc in their thing and yeah, be like, yeah. no. That's, that's funny though. <laughs> um, But yeah, so we've talked about, like, we talked about Verotica last season and Glenn Danzig being insane and not being able to do any aspect of filmmaking imagine that but he did every aspect of filmmaking personally and made a western <laughs> basically yeah <laughs> but was also uh, really clever <laughs> clever man i mean god again you know did the soundtrack too for this it's a great great soundtrack it is it it's like amazing, amazing to see his name in the credits yeah. that much um do we have final thoughts, unless there's anything you want to add? Because I kind of think that's that's it for this episode. Yeah, I think so. It's just uh, another one of... We always say this at the end of the good ones. Go watch it yourself. It's very good. It's not a perfect movie, but it's very, very good. And everybody should see it. And it is extreme. <laughs> like, be, do be ready what? for some of the parts. It's extreme, but one, I would say it's more watchable than 90% of the stuff we talk in the podcast, despite That's being very true. the most out there thing we've talked about. It, it, it's so out there, but it's so much more watchable than basically almost everything we've done <laughs> before. So. And I think I think as well, if you're, if you're listening to this and you've listened all the way through, you know, we do full spoilers. You can't really fucking spoil this film. No, because that's so the thing. The plot, you know... That there are gunslingers and then there's a fascist town at the end and whatnot. Yeah. That just that that doesn't begin to even describe what you're going to see if you watch this film. It's much more one of those it does not matter what the plot is, it's how it's presented. Like why it looks like how you see it rather than what is happening. Though I must say I found I found the end of the film rather emotional yeah, watching it. There's yeah. relationship with his son. Um, which we didn't even talk about because there's so much <laughs> there in this so film. There is so much, yeah. He does have a son. But like the, <laughs> the, the setup from the first scene of his son burying the photo yeah, um, yeah. of his mother in the desert uh, to him giving it away to them finding each other years later, that relationship is sort of fantastic. And then the son you know, goes from being this monk to once he sees his dad again, he puts CL Topo gear yeah. on. And, and wants to kill him as well. Let's not forget that. Like, well, he he's going to become the gunslinger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are uh, comic books, The Son of El Topo, which I've never read. Oh, no. I, I want to read them at some point. No idea. Okay, so, um, Dom, what are we watching next week? Next week will be Devil Starry. Um, very different movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, an interesting one, a very short one. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll get into it next time, I guess. Next week we're watching Devil Story, so it's it's all I know is that it's a French slasher film, and it's meant I think it's French, and it's meant to yeah be yeah French absolutely insane because we we got a couple of insane ones coming for you this next two weeks. Oh so, uh, yeah, strap in. It is going to get weird. Like if you if you thought that was odd, it's going to get very odd. <laughs> 
of the of the first three of this of this new series, this is the most normal film. So yeah, be prepared. Um, <laughs> I'm not. So oh, I've not seen. I have no. I've literally no idea what to expect. I've not seen any of these next ones we're doing. So it will be a fun time. I'm so excited. So yep, yeah, that's Devil Story. Uh. Good luck finding a stream, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> we managed somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so until next time, thank you for listening. We are back. We've got three more episodes coming. Yeah. And uh, enjoy. Bye. You've been listening to the Extreme Cinema Podcast with Alexander Sternberg and Dom Loach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing as it really helps us out. The original artwork for the podcast was done by George Arnold. The Extreme Cinema Podcast... Available where all good podcasts are available.